Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is the 6th of June, and we are recording early on a Sunday morning. Um, the French Open is on. Rafa Nadal is up like 5-1 or something like that in the first set. I know. Oh, it's the I finals. Wait, it's June 5th, right? June yes, 5th, 5th, yeah. yeah. Okay. Is it the finals? It's the finals, yeah. Um, it's, uh, that's exciting. Uh, yeah. I have to watch it. It's, uh, I think by the time... By the time we're done recording, it might be over. It'll be over, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just live up. I don't think there's going to be one of those five-set matches. All right. Um, well. I wanted to watch the women's final last night, but I like uh, or this morning, yesterday morning, but I didn't wake up in time, which is rare. It's like I woke up at seven thirty. I think it's the latest I've woken up in years. Jesus. Yeah. Anyway. I had to like really messed up. Yeah. Okay. I was well. I was like dying waking up at nine o'clock today. You woke up at nine? How yeah. do you wake up at nine? You have a child. Um, iPad. So what? She grabs the iPad and <laughs> yeah, the third parent. Yeah, and she you iPad her. You give her an she, iPad and go back to sleep. Does she awesome. iPad herself? Oh, you give her. Okay. Yeah. My kid knows the password for all the iPads and my phone. And um, I'm thinking I should yeah. probably change it, but then I too, like, like. Is oh, it yeah. one password for all of them? Uh, no, no. She just knows them all. Okay. She knows how Someday your editor is going to get a really weird email. <laughs> yeah, or or some tweet's going to go out and I'm going to get canceled. I'm yeah. going like, to was a five-year-old, you know. Um, all right. Well, Tammy's back in, where are you? In the heart of Empire. Okay. So you're back in Brooklyn. I'm back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tammy, where were you? Because in the last episode that we did, and with uh, Isaac, Andy oh, yeah. and I were like basically like we. I don't even know what country. You guys kept Tammy's it a in. secret. <laughs> <laughs> no, I genuinely didn't know. So, what country were you in? So I was. I took a trip. I went to Madrid, Prague, and Budapest, and then for the last week, I was in Muscat, Oman. It was my first time in the Middle East, and um, yeah, it was cool. I was representing my union at the International Federation of Journalists convention and wow. it was sort of like a un it was like a trade union conference for journalism unions from around the world mm -hmm. and um i think of interest to our discord i was really fascinated to see some of the asian groupings so there was representing asia as like we talk about it on the show mm -hmm. philippines indonesia timor last myanmar taiwan cambodia malaysia and thailand wow. and they all kind of hung out together so it sort of had like college apa vibes which <laughs> no, i was really like into it's like a debate tournament <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not, what you're describing is a debate tournament you know? really okay <laughs> oh yeah uh, and it was, was kind of great like all the English, all the Asian right? teams from from like San Jose hang out together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like they automatically knew to come together. Yeah. To be Parker, fair, some of them had had yeah. sort of strategized in advance, and they had a kind of regional trade union grouping. Right. But anyway, I just thought it was fascinating because they were able to, you know, with some overlaps of language and culture, like to share yeah. their concerns in the journalism union world. And um, yeah, and also it was I think as an American journalist, just obviously very humbling to go to a trade union conference where there are people from like Palestine and Mexico, uh -huh. you know, and other countries, Ukraine, you know, Afghanistan, where people are like dying, doing their jobs yeah. every day. Yeah. So yeah, it was great. But I learned a lot about Asia and some of the stuff that's been going on, um, like after the election in the Philippines and like in Indonesia and stuff. So hopefully we'll be able to bring some of those folks on the show in the future. What, was oh, it like cool. a conference where people present things or... Like panels yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. It was a mix. So there was some of that like substantive discussion of 
regional concerns and people's experiences in doing journalism, facing various crackdowns from their governments, et cetera. And then there was like bureaucratic stuff like you would find at the UN where we we're voting on motions and uh-huh. you know constitutional wow. matters and stuff for the IFJ umbrella. Why was it in Oman? So, also, Tim, yeah. can you turn your microphone down a little bit? Yeah. Like, so it Whoa. rotates because it's an international body. It just rotates around the world every time it has oh. Congress. Yeah. So it was cool. Whoa. It was my first time being in the Middle East. It was my first time being in a place where the government is religious, like being in a religious uh-huh. state. Right. Um. Yeah, it was fascinating. I think Oman, though, compared to like Saudi is much more kind of open. So we went out to the city to look around a little bit. And like, for instance, like all the women are covered, but in different degrees, mm-hmm. I would say. So some folks just have like a job and some people are completely covered up. And yeah, um, even though it is a kind of religious semi-ethno state, it, it still like has it still feels like relatively open, I would say, and free. Yeah. Um. It also has a really interesting and kind of typical Middle East or Gulf economy where like all the workers are from South Asia and the Philippines. Right. Yeah. So that was, yeah, it's kind of difficult, I think, to to kind of see that, you know, but, you know, every state has its own sort of issues with migrant labor as we do in the U.S. as well. So, yeah. So the the people who attended were like much more represented from like Asia um, or rather than like, like the Western Hemisphere. It was it was actually a really good sampling. Like people were there from every single continent. Okay. Um, yeah. And who are the so there was a really strong African contingent. Who was the coolest? I feel like in terms of like union drip swag, the Africans definitely had it down. Okay. Like there, I was uh, like there were some guys wearing like traditional like like clothes and stuff, and then they would like weave in their union patches into their outfits. Oh, wow. So that was really cool. Um, The Nordic countries were very sort of stereotypically kind of insular. I feel like everybody kind of like went into their like regional stereotypes. But anyway, I was um, it was very cool to to kind of see and to learn from the other Asianists. So and people kept thinking I was with them because I kept sitting at their table. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. What language? Yeah, exactly. Um, the three official languages of the convening are English, Spanish, and French. And I speak okay. French, so I was using my French. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, like the for the Southeast Asians, they were all speaking in English. You speak so. French? When's the last yeah. time you spoke French before that? Um, it's, been, it's been a while. The last yeah. time I spoke it very, very fluently was like 15 years ago. Could you like so, conduct an interview? Yeah. Can you read? Somewhat poorly. Yeah, I can read. Oh, my God. Tammy. There were also Koreans there, but they completely flaked out and were like very typical Korean arrogant, like didn't attend the con- convening, but oh, showed up no. for the last picture. Were oh, they like no. drunk the whole time? I guess they couldn't be drunk, I, I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, I won't, not to bore you guys, but anyway, it was great. I, no, that's like, cool. I had no idea that that's where you Asian were. Comrades. Yeah. I'm, I'm very great. interested in what happens at a at an international labor convention for journalists. Um you can yeah, probably imagine <laughs> lots of Wait, debating. But what, what types of paper were they? What types of what types of uh, places did these people work at? Like, was yeah. this for people who were? I mean, I imagine it's not just people on the left, right? It's not like a. It it must be. Um, it's what 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 union? Yeah, is not it? at all. So the convening body is called the International Federation of Journalists, and okay. it's like a 
you know, an organization that brings together trade unions to make sure that journalist rights are protected around the world. So you're totally right. Like, definitely not shared politics. Like when I mentioned the Nordic countries, like some of those people definitely had more of a kind of conservative and insular sort of nationalist vibe. I mean, I wouldn't say that there are like no one's writing for Breitbart and coming to this kind of Mm -hmm. thing. But Mm -hmm. but people are writing for all kinds of different things. Some people are staffers. A lot of people are freelancers, which is obviously a growing thing around the world in Mm -hmm. in media and generally in the economy. Um, but people are working for some of them were working for like English language papers in their home countries, or mm-hmm. f- they would be like correspondents for like a Japanese paper in Palestine or like a French paper, you know, in yeah. Africa or Bloomberg That's in the cool. Maldives. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of see how all of this like in in the way that the journalism economy is deteriorating in the United States, like the same patterns are happening all over the world. How long oh, yeah. does it take to fly to Oman? It, or fly back from it was yeah. very far yeah like <laughs> i flew back through istanbul um and back home and it was like it was like a oh, 15 t- hour trip basically wow turkish yeah. airlines mm-hmm. nice it was supposed to be nice yeah it right? wasn't bad it was good yeah yeah do you fly business <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the freelance union that i'm part of <laughs> yeah i have a oh man that's a that's a Do long people um, mask on international flights? Not really. Yeah. I just flew to Chicago this weekend. It was like, uh, I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but like the domestic flying experience started reminding me of like these long bus rides that go on in China where you're just like, you just like close your eyes and try to try to try to get get through it for like four hours and just forget where you are. Oh my god! Yeah, flying has become very bad. I mean, yeah, it's, it's I mean, I think it was always bad, and maybe we just were not used to it because we didn't fly for a while. And I'm trying to put it in some perspective because I used to have the worst flying experience ever when I was a television correspondent because like you have to arrive really early because you have to check like 15 pieces yeah. of equipment. Uh-huh. And so then you're there really early and it was usually like LaGuardia or JFK, which made it even worse. And yeah. then, uh, and then you have to <laughs> rent a car yeah. and then you have to, um, and then you have to come back and, ch- I mean, anyway, a- any bad flight that you had, I had to do like twice to three times a week. Oh and then God. I'm Holy like, cow. well, it couldn't have been worse than that, you know? But I have no idea. I don't have any perspective. It really oh. is like a before times type of thing. I feel like the cost cutting is out of control. I can't, I don't know. I can't even put a laptop on my table anymore. And I, I definitely use the laptop like, in college. <laughs> what do you mean? Because they're the, so small. They shrunk the seats by like 20%, I think, compared to like 10 years ago. Oh, <laughs> Like, it I is really. I think if you're very tall, like it's extremely oh, yeah, that's uncomfortable. True. I don't right. I'm like the same height I was in college. Yeah, and, like, I could use a laptop. And you're way thing. less. Now I have right? to. Now I have to like. Yeah, I can't. Maybe your that. laptop has grown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or your or your. Uh, Ever think about grown? that, Andy? Maybe your, <laughs> your perception of necessary laptop space has shrunk. Have you considered that? <laughs> your laptop using habits have changed that's what the data says um i have no clue um i just know that people are like it's not the flights for me it's like the it's like people just are like very stressed out including me and on edge and all sorts of arguments happen all the time maybe they did before but i don't really remember it that way um okay it's pretty so, stressful yeah we have uh, two things to talk about this week. The first thing to talk about is, look, 
I we talk, Andy Isaac and I talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to get Tammy's yeah. thoughts on it too. And we I wanted to approach it from an angle that I think we didn't talk about last week, which is that you know we have this uh, we have what happened in Uvalde, right? This massacre, and um, we now have this separate storyline that comes out of it, which is about the police in Uvalde, right? Yeah. And in some ways, it's taken main stage in a lot of ways i think because i think that well i think there are a few things i think the first thing is that i don't know if people have given up on the idea that gun control stuff will change right i don't think that everyone has like i think that a lot of sort of people who are liberal or who are progressive have not given up on that right like that they still feel an outrage and they think that things can happen and that they will go vote or they will you know attend stuff like happened after Parkland where there are big protests everywhere. Like, Mm -hmm. I think people will still do that. And I think that people are still kind of mad, but um, I think that at least in the media, and I think from a lot of people's personal perspectives, the police response is what infuriates them the most. Right. And so we have a lot of details that are coming out now. And um, part of the frustration about it is from the fact that it was hard to corroborate in the first week any of the details at all because the police kept changing their story, you know? Um, now you can, that is the kindest way to put it, changing their story, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Like it is the most non-libelous way to put it is changing their story, right? And so first they're like, well, you know, uh, we went in there immediately, right? Nobody can corroborate that. We have conflicting statements about that. But the only thing that does seem very clear is that this, guy was behind a locked door for about 70 minutes while the police waited outside, right? And that we have 911 calls from the kids inside who are calling out and asking for help. And we have uh, this guy who's continuing, not all the people in that classroom were dead, right? Not all the kids were dead. And um, we have cops standing outside the classroom and we have cops standing outside of the school and they're handcuffing parents who are trying to get in. We have law enforcement officers who are running in to get their own kids out, right? Yeah. And we have, uh, and we have this mother, and this I think is the most sort of affecting story, which is that you know there's a mother who had been on probation for ten years, you know, and she went in, she grabbed her kids, they handcuffed her, she got out of the handcuffs, runs into school, grabs her two kids. She says she didn't see a police officer in there at all. Right. And that she came out and she started talking to the media about, yeah. you know, her outrage and what had happened to her. And then it turns out that like somebody had like basically said threatened to, to revoke her probation mm-hmm. because she was talking to the media. Right. And that they brought it in front of a judge. The judge said this is ridiculous. Right. You know. Thankfully, like one part of the criminal justice or the justice system there works, right? <laughs> and um, she is now continuing to talk to the media about what she saw. And that um, the outrage about this, right, it seems to be like a little bit different than what happened with two summers ago with George Floyd, right? Like it is somewhat of a different issue. I think the anger at the police is there and is similar might be greater, but the narrative is different, right? Yeah. Like it's, this is not that a police officer killed somebody. This is because the police officer 
did X, Y, and Z? Because in those situations, the response is always like, well, it's a dangerous job, you know? And mm -hmm. these officers are brave people who need to make split second decisions and they don't always make the right decision. Uh, or they did make the right decision because like it looked like X, Y, like this person had a gun in their hand or something like that, right? Like you think about like Tamir Rice where you watch the video and this police car just rolls up on this kid and they shoot him instantly, right? Because he has an airsoft gun, right? Um, so, uh, you know, now it's like, well, why didn't they do something, right? So I don't know. I wanted to talk about that. So Tammy, yeah. you weren't here last week. Yeah, what, but what do you, what, what have you thought about this response um, by the public to the police? Right. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Really quickly, Jay, I can, I can kind of hear like something coming through when you talk loudly. I don't know if it's like your headphones are on too high or something. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I guess the first thing I'll say is like it, during my travels, this was like the number one topic of conversation when people found out where I was from. So they would just basically say like, what's wrong with you guys? Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, how could you let this happen? Because they had seen Buffalo and then days later they had seen Uvalde. And, you know, as, as we've discussed on the show, just the, the shock of it, especially with the, the babies, basically, it's just, it's a lot. Um, yeah, I guess my initial reaction to this was, are we going to remember these as like murders of a mission, you know, by the cops? Like in, in the same way that you were just talking about how the Black Lives Matter moment is triggered by the intentional killings by of civilians by police. Like to me, this is like another way in which basically the police did cause deaths. Um, and, you know, and it's a, a little bit of like an inverse situation because obviously we had expectations of them to act in a way that would like save lives and they didn't do that. Um, and then the ways in which that they've just been harassing the community basically like undermining the democratic um, functioning of the, the local government as well. Like my understanding is they shut down city hall. The police right. chief is in hiding. Yeah. Um, you know, the police chief was unceremoniously re reappointed to the school board or sorry, the, the city, city council. council. Yeah. So it's a sort of like complete breakdown. Like you see both like the complete capture of the city by law enforcement and then just this complete breakdown of democracy in response to this. And I very much see the police as basically having participated in the deaths of these children is my yeah. take on. Um, so that I've been thinking about that a lot. I've been thinking about from a social movement perspective, whether this is like a triggering point or how we're supposed to read this in terms of like an impulse towards abolition. You know, like from the perspective of abolitionists, I think this is actually quite a logical and perfect illustration of like what they've always said about police, you know, and I think those are concerns worth taking seriously. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sort of um, just use this in, in kind of like a way to make a point, but I think like it, it raises questions on the left for us to consider about that. Yeah. Annie, what do you think? Um, I have two, well, two kind of, I mean, I agree with all of that. Um, one thing I was thinking, and this is kind of from the beginning of the aftermath when you would get a lot of these politicians like Cruz and Abbott basically in denial about this, and I think they are basically in denial still, mm -hmm. was that I think, I mean, I, there must be some coverage of this. I, I admit I haven't like read everything that, you know, matters that this school is, you know, like almost majority like at the poverty line, they're Latino, right? It's a small town. I really feel like politicians they can compartmentalize this because they don't, they personally don't feel threatened. They feel like this is an issue that just doesn't concern them because this is, you know, on very many levels, like a marginal community to them. Right. It's not Newtown. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. 
which even then, you know, didn't change much. But yeah, it just like they listened to the way these politicians <clears throat> talk. It just it was it just felt very clear that for them, it was like this abstract political game they were playing. And it wasn't a thing that they ever felt they ever feel personally threatened um, the way that, you know, most of us feel like this could happen to any of us, you know, or this can happen. Joe Manchin said it was the only person who seemed to. What did he say? Well, he said, like, I can't stop thinking about right, my yeah, grandchild. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And this, is, this feels different than before. But, yeah. you know, whether something happens, like, is, you know, still up You know, there was a report in the yeah. Tribune that said John Cornyn was trying to lead some bipartisan effort for, and it's not, they're not going to touch assault rifles, but, like, they might raise the age to 21 or right. do background checks or something, which, you know, like, that is, it is notable when Republicans are saying it. Um, I do think, yeah. obviously, like, partisanship is, like, the problem and a lot of not the problem but is like you know for a lot of these republicans this is a partisanship game more than anything mm-hmm. else which is you know horrible but it'd be good if republicans came out or conservatives or you know anyone on supposedly on that side were like this is you know too far um the other thing is like you know this last week maybe i'm just like not pay- i haven't paid attention to this stuff before but right after there were like you know shootings every day you know in the yeah US. Um, tulsa so there was one, and I just woke up this morning. There was also one like four blocks from our house here in Philly last night right. at, at midnight. Um, no one really knows what's happened. And I'm starting to wonder, I mean, I think we've kind of been in this phase already with these kind of moments in U.S. history of so-called crime waves, you know, like the 60s, 80s into the 90s, the which was the pretext to Hillary signing that crime bill with super predators, you know. So there are these moments, it seems, in U.S. history where, and you can you, we can debate about like where these where these statistics come from and who gets to decide whether the crime or whatever, right? But I think we're entering this sort of like holy shit, we don't know what's happening, like moral panic mode um, in 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 our in U.S. history. I don't know. I mean, like my parents are coming to Philly in a week, in a month or so, and I think they're already like, you guys just all have COVID. <laughs> now they're gonna be like, you guys all have guns, and yeah. you know, stay. I think we're just like, let's just stay inside, you know, at, <laughs> at like nine o'clock. You know, yeah. just to just to like not take any chances, and I don't know. Just like it just seems like, um, and I think the this is probably if one I don't know how one could research this like part of the fallout of COVID, you know, and the sort of gutting of a lot of people's lives and social lives and economic, um, you know, um, the things they depend on economically, and uh, yeah, this has been kind of talked about for a while. Uh, uh, and Do you seems... think the mass ma- the mass killings thing though is different from the eighties nineties crime? Yeah, limit? I think it's a little different. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not saying the exact same. We, can talk, no, we, we should I'm talk about crime this. later, Andy. We can talk about that. Let's talk about that a little later in the okay. show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think there's because I do think they're different, and you know, here in Berkeley, they just arrested a kid who I think was at Berkeley High School. We had two incidents here. Um, one was a kid got shot right outside of Berkeley high school and when? like, like last 10 days ago or something, oh, or maybe God. two weeks yeah. ago. And they just, and am I still bleeding? Like, can you still hear the, the, I, I'm, I can a little, can, can you tell me? Mm-mm. I think it might I mean, be maybe your, it's just my imagination. Yeah. Um, we had a kid who got shot outside of Berkeley high school. Um, and, uh, I had, nobody has any information about it cause you know, a kid's a minor and they don't release any information about it. And then we there was a kid arrested a couple of days ago who um, was trying to recruit other kids to shoot up and blow up the school, you know. Um, and this is really like you can tell when things are 
like these traumatizing moments when all these things come together, right? Um, in Sacramento, we had uh, six people who got shot, you know, similar to Philadelphia, just late night um, on a busy street, right? Yeah. And I don't know, I had to, like, it's interesting to me how these things get processed very differently, right? Um, now, when something is associated with gangs or something like that, a mass shooting is associated with gangs, right? Like people kind of ignore it and they say, oh, that's just something that's happening. Then when mass shootings are, you know, like a kind of person who is, quote, mentally ill, who's going in and killing people, I think it gets processed differently there, too. Yeah. And yet I think that the two are probably merging in a way that they weren't before. And I find that to be somewhat interesting, right? Because like, there are always people, there are always like parties that get shot up and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. And that those, a lot of times they have heavy, heavy, heavy casualty tolls of people getting hurt or people dying. And I just think that, uh, you know, the fact that these things are being discussed together now, I think is, is interesting. And it might indicate some sort of shift in the way that people are thinking about these things and i found it interesting too that you know andy i agree with you that you know the fact that this is a 90 percent uh latino community and yet i don't think that there's been a muting of the outrage or anything like that maybe there are from politicians i don't think that there is from the public at all you know um, i don't think that the outrage has been diminished because oh no I because know. of that like i think that this is Maybe even, I mean, I don't know, like it, it's, I don't want to compare responses, but I mean, this is the most shattering event that I can remember yeah. in recent memory for people that I know, but also just people that it seems are across the country, you know, yeah. like this is like, it seems inconceivable. And I think that the frustration that people feel is at some all time high. And so I wonder if it really is this moment where people feel totally helpless or if something is actually going to happen, right? Like I just, like I have this, my general theory about change is just that like it either happens very slowly through a small group of very motivated people or it just like happens almost immediately. Um, and I don't know, I'm at this point now where I have no clue what's going to happen, but the sustained outrage, especially at the police seems yeah. significant to me. Now, Tammy, I wanted to ask you this in long terms of lines of, abolition which is that my question is like it is different in a way because like people aren't mad because the, because the police did something they're mad that the police didn't do something right so like why wouldn't the logical conclusion here be that like the police needed to do something and therefore we need police right and that and we can talk about that in context of crime a little in a little bit but like you know like why is that not the logical conclusion yeah i mean i think it probably is for a lot of people especially because cbp then was the one to finally intervene, right? Right, they're so more like, Okay, the Fed, right. So the Fed, so it's a jurisdictional issue. There are Feds who have more training. It was the locals who failed, blah, blah, blah. But I think for a lot of people, that's just not a robust argument at this point because I think we've seen so many of these instances where basically it's not it's not just this question of were they proactive or did they, you know, by omission, like cause the harm. It's, it's also just like, what is their relationship to the people? Yeah. You know, are they like a force that we can depend on to do something or, you know, to refrain from doing something? And I just feel like that trust is broken in so many communities. And in a lot of the Uvalde reports, I mean, there was one of the 
the teachers who was killed, my understanding is that her husband was a police officer and he has Yeah, he worked out. at the school response force, yeah. Yeah, and so another layer of bureaucracy. Wow. Like, right. why is this fifteen town of 15,000 people have, like, all of these different law enforcement agencies anyway? Right. But, you know, he hasn't spoken out, but this issue of, aside from her and, and their, their family, I mean, a lot of people in the news reports that I've read have basically said, we've never had a good relationship with the police this isn't entirely surprising because they've always been very apart from the community. So I, I, it just seems like regardless of the kind of, I guess, the structure of the way things went down, it seems to point in the same direction, which is like, they aren't a part of us. They don't yeah. really want to be a part of us. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, just like reading the stories, it sounds like, um, I mean, it's a small town. It's like 15,000. It's hard to imagine yeah. something that small that, uh is probably just it was like the whole system i forget the guy's name the the police chief who's now in hiding the whole system is like everyone rewarding everyone else um and these jobs are probably just like jobs for friends like yeah you know it wasn't people have the jobs mainly just to like park and draw salary and um reward their friends and families and uh, it wasn't actually like uh they don't i mean obviously they weren't like responsive to actual to, to the actual needs of uh what people would want them to do um it's i mean it's a real i don't know it just sound the whole situation just smells really fishy like there's something that's being hidden i don't know what it is but like, i know i know right happen like what do you got what are they doing right like know. they're like they're, they're harassing journalists who are there right like mm-hmm. what do you what do you think is like my question is like what do you think is going to happen? Like, what do you think the end game is here? Like, do you really think you can like stop the national media from reporting on this story? Right. Like yeah. you're a small town police department. They're really, yeah. Like, what are you going to do? You know, like every time you harass one of these journalists, five more are going to sprout up. Yeah. You know? And like three of those are going to want to get harassed by you, you know, so that they can report <laughs> on it. Like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. Like, it is like such. And that the idea that they think this is going to work. Like maybe it'll work, but I don't think it will. You know, no, like I, I feel think like all this stuff is going to come out. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure and you can see it, right? Like there's people in Texas finally who are starting, like people in the Texas legislature who are finally being like, look, we probably have to do an investigation on this. These are Republicans, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so like that investigation will happen, right? Um, it'll come out. I imagine that it will probably confirm, right? there'll be one or two details in there that might seem exculpatory, right? Like, like maybe they tried to get in and they got shot at, which is a story that, you know, who knows if that's true or not, but that's a detail that has come out. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that overall though, I think it will confirm the narrative. And I imagine that these police officers will lose their job, you know? Um, right. And that, that'll probably be the, the end of it for a lot of people. But I do think that what Tammy has said is true, that there is a, there are moments where I think that people's relationship with institutions have, you know, they just get jammed down, right? And that um, this has got to be one of them, I think. And yeah. the question is just like, okay, well, then what's the, and I don't know the answer to this, you know, like, what is the logical response then? Now, I think abolitionists would say, and I think that they would be correct in a lot of ways in terms of logic saying, like, look, this is what we told you, right? Like you said, Tammy, right? Like, right. um, they don't, they're not there to protect and serve, right? They're there to protect business and to protect property, um, right? This heroism of the police thing has always been a myth, right? And that um, they will always, they're not stewards of the community. And you saw that in one of the videos that have been circulating quite a bit where the grandfather of somebody yeah, who, of one of the kids horrible. who died is like, 
in extreme grief and he's, you know, confronting a police officer and saying, why didn't you do anything? And the police officer is just acting in the way that I think people might associate with the police where he's like stone face, you know, just trying to be like, sir, sir, sir. Right. (sighs) Um, and, uh, I think that those types of things really do have an effect on the public. And I don't think it's just, you know, leftists or abolitionists Mm -hmm. or liberals or whatever. I think it like anyone who has a kid or anyone who has a pulse is going to watch that and they're going to be angry, you know, and it's just once again, a question of like, we have a lot of anger in this country. I think we have a lot of people who are really frustrated with politics. And so far, I don't think it's found like a channel. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think it's found, like, we don't know where that anger goes. Yeah. I, I mean, the other thing is, like, compared to George Floyd, we felt felt like, you know, you had the name of one officer, maybe two or three officers that people could dismiss as, like, bad seeds. This feels like a real institutional failure. Right. Like, the whole thing failed. And right. we could pin the blame on one guy or one, but it's, like, everyone. Yeah. Like, nobody did shit, you know? And so it does really feel like the institution is on trial rather than just, like, the one or two bad officers right right um yeah tammy i mean like what do you think like in terms of uh like what are some steps that can happen right where this doesn't just become a thing where anger dissipates right i really like i don't buy this argument that people are making that like the floyd protests had no effect right like i agree that legislatively Mm -hmm. they didn't right? right but um you know it's it's not really something you can legislate anyway, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, outside of defunding, like there's no legislation you can do. We already went through like 15 rounds of what the legislation would be and it ended up just being body cameras, right? Like that was sort of the main thing Again. that came out of like Mike Brown and yeah. Helena Castile, Alton Sterling, all those, all those uh, protests. And so, you know, when there's, when there's not much you can do because it's one, you know, because it's like a police officer who is representing police, but who is acting individually, right? Like you can't tell them to not do these things. Um, And you can convict them for murder, which is what happened, right? Um, And so like, it's hard to find like what an actual demand would be outside of defund, right? And so at this point, like what are, what do you think some of the demands could be out of like this, out of this anger? Like it hasn't even coalesced into any sort of social movement, right? Like there's no protest against the Uvalde police or anything like that. Yeah, because it's just such a, yeah, swamp of grief. Right, right. I mean, I guess just concretely and practically, it seems like there'll probably be state and federal investigations, and there'll be reports that are issued about all of these different levels of failure. And at the Uvalde level, hopefully there'll be some sort of citizen protest or movement to, you know, clean house. And, yeah. you know, most likely that won't lead to a complete abolition of police and law enforcement in the community, but maybe it would lead to a reduction or some sort of, you know, at least punishing some of the worst actors like this police chief. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, the parents who've been speaking out to date seems like they're mostly trying to focus on um, expressing support for gun control. Like yeah. I've heard there was a actually pretty good daily episode of it on that had a bunch of the voices of parents too, that I was quite touched by. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to your guys's earlier point, like maybe this is a moment where people can say, you know, enough with this kind of mental health thing that Republicans always pull out in this Mm -hmm. moment like it's actually just about guns and who has access to these guns and that we don't need these guns in our community 
so I think that's kind of, it seems like that's probably the best that we can hope for from a, a movement perspective right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been feeling just very, I've just been feeling grief and depression about it as opposed to feeling like there are concrete actions I can take. I mean, I will be reaching out to my legislators and all that, but <laughs> I don't know. Again, with I, I don't want this show to be so depressing, but I feel like after Roe also when we were talking about feeling a paucity of like concrete channels, yeah. you know, I sort of feel that way again with this. Right, right. It's, uh, it's been a, if the, if, if there is like a attempt to break the spirit of progressive or liberal America, like, you know, it's been the past couple months now, you know, I'm not saying it, all of this is intentional, although I think the row thing was right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It seems like we're at that moment now and that, um, you know, we're kind of like, I don't understand looking forward, you know, and this is something I've had all these like fights with David Shore on Twitter, but like one of the things I agree with David Shore about is that um, he's actually a Patreon supporter of the show, you know? Um, One of the things I agree with David Shore about (laughs) is that um, like we're, Democrats are not going to have control of the Senate for like yeah. two decades, you know, and the court, like who knows, right? Like maybe we won't, maybe we'll be dead by the time the Democrats yeah, have yeah. control of the, of the court, right? Like, I don't know. Are we really confident that like any of us on this podcast are going to outlive Amy Coney Barrett or Brett Kavanaugh? <laughs> like, I don't know, you right. know, like they seem pretty healthy to me. So like um, the, the, institutional idea of institutional change right it just seems hopeless and that's even before you go into all these state legislatures gerrymandering districts and sort of like being obstructionist in the ways that like people are being elected who have basically run on the campaign being like listen i'll be obstructionist in these votes you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then they get elected you know um I don't know. It's a weird moment now. I don't feel so hopeless because I'm like generally an eternal optimist about things that um, that something will shake out. But I just don't know what it is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's going to happen? You know, um, all this anger at the police, like I can feel it, you know, like yeah. I can feel it talking to people. I can feel it uh, reading. I can feel it especially on social media, which obviously is not the world, right? But like, you know, like I think is like at least some sort of barometer of at least what social media is, right? And that um, it's influential on the on um, the public. And, you know, I can see that on every single news site, the most read stories are about the Uvalde police, right? Like it, every single, like for four or five days, like it was leading everything, right? Um, and that's like, that's something, right? Yeah. Um, especially Floyd protests were not that long ago. Yeah. Now, it has to be placed within this context, Andy, as you said, of rising violent crime in cities. And I don't know how else to put it, right? Because I know that a lot of people are going to say, well, it's not really rising. It was worse in the 90s or whatever. Like, that's fine. I agree with that, right? We should have a context to it. But in a lot of American cities, there is rising violent crime right now, right? Like, it's hard to say yeah. anything else, right? Like, I, this will have come out, but, you know, I did this thing on the for Monday's newsletter about the Baton Rouge Police Department and how they've lost officers 
last year. Like a, they've been basically mm -hmm. losing officers since 2016. Right. Cause in 2016, all this stuff happened in Baton Rouge. Alton Sterling was killed. They had horrible floods. And then three of their three Baton Rouge officers were killed in like that ambush attack. Do you remember that? Like it was mm -hmm. like the sovereign state guy. Um, I actually went down there to report on that for the police funerals and yeah. it was like a wild scene, you know? Huh. And so since then Baton Rouge, has lost police officers, right? And last year they had a precipitous drop and they have a huge spike in, like a huge spike in murders, like 80% yeah. spike in murders from the, in the last two years. And so like, that's an untenable situation in my opinion, not because I think the police are necessarily good at stopping murders, but because the only, in the public's perception and in, in American institutions, the only response that America has to rising crime is more police. It's the only thing we can do. It's the only thing yeah. we know how to do. Yeah. And so we have nationwide now, like there's articles like in Marshall Report and stuff like that that said, well, there isn't really this great police resignation, right, nationwide. But in America's biggest cities, there is, you know, okay. um, right? Like Chicago PD having a hard time recruiting. Oakland PD, okay. for example, like almost impossible time re re uh, recruiting. Yeah. LAPD. Same thing, you know, numbers down, NYPD, a lot of retirements, stuff like that. NYPD, I think will be okay, you know, but some of these other police departments <laughs> in places like Baton Rouge, which are high crime and not gigantic cities. Yeah. Like they're really having like an evacuation of the police force. And I think the public is going to end up siding with the police, right? That, that they are going to be concerned with rising violent crime and that they're mm -hmm. going to be basically asking for more police officers. And you see that. You see that with like the LA mayor race where everybody is saying we need more police. Oakland here, every candidate in Oakland is saying we need more police. <laughs> you know, yeah. Eric Adams said we need more police, right? Like, so um, I don't know. Like, I think that this is both a horrible time for police and I also think it's like kind of a good time for the police. What do you think? Hmm. Are you saying the the great resignation is because it's too dangerous? The job is too dangerous. No, I think it's because I mean I th I don't know why. I think it's a variety of reasons. Okay. Um, I mean, first of all, people are leaving all industries, right? Yeah, that's um, right. And the Marshall Report thing and the Bureau of Labor Statistics have shown that like police actually nationwide haven't outpaced, have actually underpaced general the employment. other yeah. like the general mm -hmm. numbers. But in big cities, this isn't true, right? Like right. in big cities, there is like a large okay. um, sort yeah. of leaking out of the, the country. Force. Huh? Maybe they're moving to the countryside or something. They are. A lot of them are going to like, you know, they're yeah. like leaving Easier Chicago. Places. Yeah, they're leaving Chicago and going to like, you know, I don't know, one of the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, right? like Peoria that's sort of one of the things that's happening. Yeah, um, yeah I mean. To, I think you said this a, a while back, Jay, that this is not uh, a situation where the police actively killed someone, but it was more like their absence right. allowed for it. So I think, I do think like if the sort of defund message has to be paired with a gun control one, otherwise it won't, I think, resonate. Um, and I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Like for, for this 400 million guns or whatever the number is, um, that has to be addressed at the same time. Um, cause I don't think anyone would, cause if anyone would like replay the situation, right? well, there's still guns, you know, there's still this one guy with a gun, uh, in the school. And uh, yeah, I think it makes a lot of, I mean, it makes a lot of gun control typically is kind of like the, I guess the domain of like centrist Democrats. Um, and, 
yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm like wrong, but I don't typically hear those like those two messages joined together. But it makes a lot of sense that they would be, you know, um, to pair like abolition or defund with gun control. Um, and maybe both are kind of maybe this is like a catalyst moment for that. I do think Jay like it is. I you know I don't know how to predict what's happening. It does feel like on the like in the immediate aftermath, it did kind of feel like. A lot of people are speculating about what's happening, but I think for a few days there, I felt like it might actually you know, like disappear from the main news. But actually, but now it's like come back, and there's more reports, and there's different groups out there calling for more gun control. I think like conversations are just happening quietly, and this is kind of the truth with all these like big catalyst moments that it kind of takes a while for these things to blow up publicly. And maybe there are conversations happening right now about some big renewed legislative effort or whatever. Um, with gun control um, or, or with uh, police reform. And I also think like the, the legislative response to defund, which is to like refund and to have this, like the democratic party, like, you know, double down on police that could be read as a failure. It could also be read as like they're on the defensive and the, and this is kind of like their reaction to what they perceive as a greater public um, sort of shift towards some sort of ref- like reform or defund sentiment. Um, I think overall, like the country, it just feels like this country, the, 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 the gap between like the political class and like the general sentiment of the country just seems to be widening. And I know that's kind of like your debate with David Shore is like, well, how, how liberal is the public or like, do, would they actually vote on these issues? But it does seem like the more you think about the Senate, the Supreme court, all these kind of the same conversations over and over about how, conservatives have kind of you know monopolized all these institutions it does feel like well this isn't really sustainable because they just keep going in like like the general sentiment and the conservative class that kind of rules all these institutions they seem to be like the gap just seems to be widening and right but the problem is that the senate and the supreme court right like they don't have to they don't have to gap right because of those two institutions and their power. Yeah, um, but some, it seems like something's got to like break. No, point. I agree. Yeah. Look, I think that this is my most wild take, and I would never write it, but I would just say it. I think that like there's a chance that like by 2040 or so, the California secession is like really on the table. You sure, know, yeah. like because like if you think about if if the things that happen that are going to happen in the United States uh, that seem to be happening politically in Washington keep happening, where you have minority rule, you have you know, this court that is basically just continuing to strip out rights, right? Like um, that I think people in California find to be pretty important, right? Yeah. Um, and then you have basically Mitch McConnell, you know, um, still alive at the age of like 93, like, you know, <laughs> basically um, running roughshod over everything. I really do think that, um, you know, the idea that California would be its own country would yeah. be, is like on the table now. You know, I would welcome both of you to to the country of California. <laughs> well, there's the Cascadia idea, of, right, uh, right, Oregon. Right. I guess I would take B- Annex BC from Canada and then yeah. merge with Washington State. I would join Cascadia in a heartbeat. Yeah, my my map is like basically everything from Bellingham, Washington, all the way down to like San Diego. You know, <laughs> and then there's a little like. Uh, cut out for Las Vegas, you know? I was going to say, do all of the people in the terrible parts of California have to go to another place? No, 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 no. They're part of, they're, 
they're part of this great nation of Do Seattle, of Seattle Ford. Yeah. yeah. No. That's <laughs> that came up with it. Yeah. It's basically just the entire West Coast is like its own, um, is its own country. It would just be know? so prone to invasion from its neighbors. It's just this t- tiny thin strip of land. I think all the white down. supremacists in Oregon have something to say about this. I know. <laughs> well, they can move to Idaho. Exactly. You know? I was going right. to say, right. they're going to go. So east. like my, within my plan for Seattle, California, we would have one year of complete open borders policy. Mm, right. right. Okay. And people like- can come in and leave <laughs> As if they wanted. This is like yeah, this is like my Maddie Glacier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, you know, like my 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 dream is of one billion Seattleforians, right? Like, and we have open borders, basically. Like, can you imagine what would happen though? I really do think there would be like a mass migration of people who are who by twenty forty would be so frustrated with American politics, right? Yeah. And that um and and would have at least felt a lot of this in their personal lives, right? Yeah. Um the sort of destruction from minority rule in their personal lives. Right. And they would flock in. And I'd be like, well, this is, you know There'd be like, too many would, people. Huh? There'd be too many people. I think you'd Wait, need, what like, do you mean too many people? Idaho. It's all I mean have you been to California? There's like <laughs> the middle of the if you drive from San Francisco to LA, there's like Nothing there, you la- but you need that land to like farmland. Right? Yeah, <laughs> do what? Gra- like raise, uh, raise to like, to like grow almonds and use like thirty yeah. percent of Almond California's yeah. water mm-hmm. source. Yeah. yeah, where's the water going to come from? I guess all from Washington State. Yeah, they need, look, they need the same place problems. that they're stealing from already. It's Utah, yeah. right? We'll just source it from Canada. <laughs> we'll just wrong. put like a big water hose. From like the Canadian Rockies right. down, into, to, uh, down into LA. <laughs> like we're not thinking <laughs> logistically to the here. Canadians. This is going to be the wealthiest country, yeah, in in the world. I think like eventually, <laughs> one billion Seattleforeans, right? Um, <laughs> this is how we really fight China. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> we have a much more strategic alliance with China, I think, in Seattleforeania right. so, than yeah. okay. than um, than the United borders, States yeah. would. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I'm just kidding, kind of, you know, but I do think that like that's the end game is going to be so extreme that things like that will be on the table. How about that? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, maybe. Yeah. Something. It feels like something's going to happen. Some something's got to give. Right. Right. Contradictions. Right. You know. Why not? Why not a country of the West Coast? Tammy. Okay. Let's go back to the police thing here for a second. Right. Like, what do you think about this? This idea that there's rising crime. Right. And that I. That in every city, major city in America, from Seattle to San Francisco to Los Angeles to Atlanta, right, um, to New York City, that pro-police candidates have won, right? These are democratic cities. Uh, These are people running who might be very progressive, actually, in some ways on economic policy, on... um, other cultural issues either. yeah like racial representation stuff right so and they are coming in and they're basically saying the one thing that i can't sort of buy the old school progressiveness on is policing and in fact it's not even that like i just think that the face of progressive politics has shifted very rapidly in the last and that the police part of it is like not police accountability even is not part of it you know mm-hmm. It's been dropped. Wait, um, what, do you, what do you mean? What's the old school versus the new school? I think like somebody like Maya Wiley would have been like the old school, right? Of like two years ago, even, right? Like, um, and which which is what's her attitude towards police? Um, pretty pretty like sympathetic towards defund, okay. right? Oh, okay, but not necessarily defund, but certainly like runs on police accountability, right? Um, 
that's all out the window right but now. But wouldn't all of those candidates, wouldn't all of those candidates slash winners say that they are for accountability? I mean, to me, it sounds like more of like stuff you heard, you've heard cycle since the 80s, which is like, there's a good way to do policing. And we're right, just but they make also are saying we need 1500 new officers. We need more police yeah, and we're going right. to make them better. Right, the community right, policing. Right. They're using kind of all of that rhetoric from the, you know, right, 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 that earlier right. era. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I wonder. It, it, some so some of the reporting out, out of Uvalde also is about like quite what right right wing families and community members who have generally, you know, are are not like do not share our politics generally and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder like what they're thinking about like how. Where do you go from this place? There's are people who have always supported the police and who have said, um, you know, generally law enforcement is good. Um, and then when you see this incredible failure, like where do you go from there? And I don't. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I think in some of the big cities, people must be asking similar questions too. I mean, just maybe it's easy for the politicians because they can always just say, "Oh, we'll wait a little bit longer for my policies to take effect, and then we'll actually see improvements." But it doesn't seem clear that there's going to be any sort of line drawn from, okay, Adams raised the budget this much to, okay, we all feel safe now. I just don't, I guess my point is just, it seems like all Uh, of those logical threads are breaking down. And so I'm kind of waiting for that. Or, you know, it seems like that's, I think a lot of people are asking, are going to be asking questions about that, despite how they voted. Adams took a big risk because he said that he was going to get crime under control, right? And he right. hasn't so far. And so when does that happen? Right. Like, what, right. you know, right. Right. Now, when can he claim victory on that? The problem with crime and all this stuff is basically that people process it through statistics in the media, right? And obviously all those statistics, the long history of policing in America is that statistic, crime statistics are generally useless because they're just basically what qualifies as a crime and what gets up. reported and what gets yeah. cleared, what doesn't, right? Um, now, you know, it's different. Well, somebody gets shot like that's and dies. That's like registered. Yeah. Murders. Right? Murders but, is the number I hear. Right. In but, right. Um, it's like, but yeah. Uh, but there are ways that like Adams can say, I really cut down on X, Y, and Z, but ex- I cut down on all of this except for murders or whatever. Right. And it could be that the murders are the only thing that people talk about, but I'm sure that he will figure out a way to mm-hmm. say that he succeeded, even if he hasn't. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it will be an, I, Tammy, I hadn't really thought about that, which is like, what happens when all these mayors take office, which they will, right? Like, I, I don't know who's going to win the LA mayoral race. It's something I wrote about recently. Rick Caruso uh, is basically running as like updated Rudy Giuliani. He's like woke <laughs> Giuliani in a way, right? Like yeah, Giuliani really for like 2022. Yeah, really um, he's, he's a Republican or a Democrat? No, no, well, he used to be a Republican. And been he's a billionaire. Right Have you been right. to LA? Have you been in the Grove or the Americana? No. No. Horrible Maybe. places. I don't know. No, first of all, Tammy, please. The, the Americana Grove? is my favorite place in LA. Oh, I Jay. love that place. It's so awesome. I used to go there all the time when oh I my lived God. in when I lived in in uh when I lived in Silver Lake or in Eagle Rock. So bad. I would, I would go to the Americana <laughs> all the time. I go they have did Typhoon, Andy, but I would um oh, okay, great. Yeah, but it's like this outdoor mall. It's like a cross section of America that's like wonderful. It's like you know, a lot of Armenians. Oh my <laughs> a god. A lot of Chinese. Cross section of, <laughs> a lot of America. A lot of Koreans, you know, they're all just walking around this mall. Um yeah, it's uh I don't know what stores they have in there right now, but they have a gigantic cheesecake factory. <laughs> <laughs> so um anyway so rick caruso right um 
he used to be a Republican. He's a billionaire and he's running for L.A. mayor. Nobody really understands why, except for like ego. Right. And, um, you know, he's trying to add all these police officers. He says he's going to clean up L.A., everything like that. Now, he might not win. Right. But it is an interesting question, Tammy, which is like if he wins. Right. And if he hires 1500 extra LAPD, which seems impossible at this point. But, you know, let's say he does it. And crime doesn't go down, you know, like what then, you know, like maybe there is like a change in that conversation, but I don't know. It just seems too complicated of a concept for people to sort of put in their heads, you know. I also wanted to say to Andy's earlier point about the disconnect between gun control and police. I mean, I think this is like, to me, one of the most extraordinary ways in which police and like the law enforcement part of our economy is completely dis entangled Mm -hmm. from the rest of society which is that in a well-functioning world where or even a slightly better functioning world police would be the people who are most in favor of gun control right Mm -hmm. because they're constantly using the fact of the proliferation of guns as the reason why jobs are so dangerous blah blah blah. it's all cycle of violence and yet they're more on the side of black city right yeah and so Mm -hmm. they use like like personally or institutionally institutionally okay yeah and so like if police unions, for instance, like actually functioned as unions and like as, you know, civic associations, they right. would say we need to cut down on the number of guns on the streets because it's dangerous for our members and it's yeah. dangerous for society. Yeah. And instead, they're more like in hand in hand with these like right wing forces for the proliferation of guns. And right. they are then constantly using it to increase their budgets to right, justify right. the post nine yeah. eleven disbursements of military arms to small towns. I mean, so it's just this sick cycle. And I. Yeah, like I, I, it also makes me just think about the kind of jobs part of p- police and military right. in our society and how to right. get out of that. Um, yeah, I mean, every time this happens, I think we talked about this last week, like it's gun control is not an issue that traditionally has been framed as a leftist argument. Um, you can't, it's, you can make an NRA, it's for like rich, you know, whatever. That's there, but it's not the full explanation. Um, unlike, the police argument it's not necessarily an anti-state anti-authority argument so it's kind of hard to like connect it to like traditional leftist discourses and you know obviously like bernie is actually quite loose with guns and defends like vermont as sort of exception to the rest of left liberal parts of the country so maybe that also has to change like with this has to be articulated in a way that is more in line with the kind of traditional leftist things because it does seem like it's I mean, the more I think about this in a practical level, it's like, unless you get, unless you do something seriously about guns, like, I don't understand, you know, um, how any of this stuff changes with crimes and yeah. murders and police, right? And, uh, and it's almost just like a practical in your face thing rather than a, like a theoretical big picture thing. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't, I don't, so I don't know if, if that's yeah. going to also change, if gun control be taken up more by leftists as like a, a thing that they they would have to pair with police uh, abolition. Mike, uh, um, the 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 DA in of California, right, um, is running for re-election, and uh, he's very progressive. And I saw his recent ad, and it was like, I will always protect the woman's right to choose, and he had a thing about gun control. And his thing, you know, because California is not, uh, like you pointed out before, there are parts of California that are not 
you know, Berkeley, California, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> that, There's a you know, lot. I have my most Berkeley yeah. moment yesterday where I yeah. went I went downtown to Telegraph Avenue and uh, they they have all these chess tables set up on Telegraph mm-hmm. and um, it's it's actually beautiful. It's wonderful, you know? Um, weirdly, there was like a shooting at the chess tables a few what? weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to portray Berkeley as this like, crime ridden town where everything gets shot. it's definitely not you don't yeah but anyway so they have the chess tables back right after this like crazy incident um and uh it was like all these asian kids with, and all these old hippies playing chess and um it was across the street from amoeba music and they're playing mm-hmm. grateful dead and wow. there was like a gigantic cloud of weed smoke everywhere and i was like if somebody came up in this their mind, so the most stereotypical, stereotypical yeah. moment, it would be like Asian <laughs> engineering. So. I don't know if they're engineering students. I apologize for being stereotypical myself. But like Asian kids playing chess with old hippies under a cloud of weed smoke, listening to the Grateful Dead. I was like, That's this is wonderful. Amazing. You know, across the from music. But um, I don't remember why I was talking about this. Why, <laughs> the why DA, did I bring something about the DA. The parts of Oh, yeah, California yeah, 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 correctly. yeah. Okay, so um, his his message was like i will get ghost guns off the street right and i think that that's become kind of like the default for people who don't want to say i'm going to be anti-gun okay they say oh but the illegal ones because the one thing that gun owners will say right and i don't know if they're right or wrong about this but like they will say i don't do any of that stuff my guns are registered and they're legal right Right. um and uh i use them for self-defense I haven't done anything illegal with these guns. In fact, I take gun safety and gun legality very seriously. Sure. And if you get, if you find someone with an illegal gun, I think those people should go to jail forever, right? Like that's something that people will say. Um, and so I think that that's become kind of the default, right? And that's kind of scary because it's like a very progressive DA um, mm-hmm. running, not DA, obviously, attorney general running in, in a very blue state and he has to kind of go to the mm-hmm. oh ghost guns right <laughs> like right. ghost guns like, are like the kind of very mild, are like kind yeah. of the signal to to people saying like oh i do care about this gun thing you care about but like i only care about it in this way and please don't dig too far beneath the surface about what i'm actually saying but almost yeah. all of the massacre the the mass yeah. shootings are Illegal. not ghost guns yeah. Yeah. right they're so illegal that, right. Yeah, right right like for some of the the sort of street warfare stereotypical kind of violence like that yeah that might you know yeah that might be dark stock, so. but otherwise it's just yeah it seems a little bit that way yeah i was reading something <clears throat> i forget what it was like two weeks ago about how there was a democratic politician um who in the this is the early 90s who was really strong on gun control. And then that's kind of when the NRA got activated and mm-hmm. they really went after them and they got them out of like, you know, they lost the next election. And that was that, like, that's always on the mind of the Democrats that um, even though they a hundred percent agree with all these laws, they, they're just like scared shitless of the NRA. For sure. And the Although they're so weakened now. The so NRA like, is really weakened. The whole logic yeah. of it is right. just, yeah. I mean, it seems like it's, they're at the least strong point they've been in our lifetimes. And so right. it's, it's very disturbing. What do you mean it's sweet though? Like just the NRA? Get, yeah. 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 Go ahead. Through a, a bunch of scandals over the past few years, they've just been, become a shrunken sort of shadow okay. of what they used to be. And yeah. they don't, you know, both in terms of its political influence and its budget, et cetera, it's just much less yeah. strong. And, yeah. but, but still, I think you're right. Like the kind that, that memory the and the sort of rhetorical force of like freedom connected yeah. to guns is like, still very strong in the country and it's 
very yeah, difficult but, to understand. Yeah, maybe right now is a is a moment if the NRA is that weak, and we'll see. But uh, we also have four hundred million hoping. guns in this country, yeah. so it's yeah. kind of hard to figure out. And someone like, was telling me this weekend, like the the number A is like four hundred is a number, other numbers like in the two hundreds, but also that the people who have the guns are like a smaller and smaller share of the pop- population, right? It's like it's more concentrated now. In did you see people did you see the Twitter thread the of all those people who are like were making pictures of right. the eighty guns? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. so it's like nine people have two thousand guns each. Well, yeah, I was trying to look up how many guns there are, and the results you get are like a poll of like households with guns, and that number has actually shrunk, right? But that right. also means that it's also logically possible that the number has gone down, but the overall number has gone up. You know, yeah. oh, see, I thought it had increased because there was that buying from. Yeah, maybe during um, COVID, it's gone up. The, during yeah, but like in the last like thirty years, Chinese people bought guns. Right? Like, <laughs> you, we saw that story like five thousand times, but it I ended up being that. true, right? Like yeah. a lot of people did get armed during COVID, and right, the right, first right. days, like there are long lines at every single gun yeah. gun shop, and so of course there's going to be like a That's violent good. crime outbreak after that, right? Like more people with guns. A lot of yeah. people who buy the guns, they're like, well, it's, you know, why did I buy this thing if I'm not going to use it, right? Um, yeah. Type of mentality. But I don't know. I I don't know what, I think our conclusion is we have no idea what can be done. The pleasing part of it is interesting. Tammy, I'm, I, I, I'm a, I'm not saying you're saying this, but, you know, um, I think that the response to Uvalde is going to be more militarization of the police you know that the crazy logic of something like well if they had an mrap or if they had a tank they could have just broken through the wall (laughs) see i think like i I think think that was the initial response by Cruz and abbott but i think that's lost any maybe like a fringe part of the public believes that but i think increasingly people are more like ignoring that idea you know, because it's self-evident that the police were there. And, right, right. Know, I, I, and it was a SWAT team. It wasn't yeah, like Plains Clothes Officers or something like that. So right. I think, the. I mean, because this, we're, so, we're so much on the defensive now, I think the best we can hope for are like, quote unquote, good conservatives to begin to speak out on this issue. And that could change, yeah. like, move the needle a little bit. God, it's depressing. Good um, luck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think like... I guess I just think about it because I only, I really do think that the only America's response to tragedy is to beef up policing. Yeah, we always right? do and, that. And we always do it. So why wouldn't we do it now, especially when there's political hay to be made from upping um, policing, right? And I just don't, like, I don't, I guess, like, when I was looking at this Baton Rouge thing, I just, like, I had this, like, moment where I was just, like, I don't know what Baton Rouge is supposed to do, right. you know? Like, what are they supposed to do? Right. It's a city in Louisiana. They have a horrific murder rate, you know? Like, people, young kids are getting shot, right? Like, these are not abstract things, like, right? Like, they're not, like, for the people, it's not that big of a city. For the people in the community, like, they're living with this violence, right? Like, it's, it's real. Yeah. Now, can you convince those people that perhaps there are other ways to deal with this situation than beefing up the police force? And not blaming the downsizing of the police force for these this spike in murder. I don't know, <laughs> you know, because everyone's so hardwired to believe that if there are less police, there's going to be more crime, right? 
And so at a time in a place like Baton Rouge, where there both those things are true, right? There's more crime and there's less police. Of course, that's going to be the logic that's going to win out, you know? And like that, that just seems like an intractable American problem, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. It's hard to imagine your Baltic so. police being even bigger too. They had like half the budget of the city, you know? It's 40%. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't a good, know. it's a good poster child for the failure. Don't you think? That. I think that yeah. what will happen is those yeah. specific. Uh, do we even know the names of the officers yet? No. I do. Just I wonder if like a lawsuit's going to happen. You know, I mean, it should happen. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. 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 And like, yeah. we'll see how much public stuff gets. Yeah, stronger. there's definitely going to be investigations and lawsuits, but. Yeah, well, if it's coming through the U.S. government, I mean, my my, I wonder if that's if it's just going to be a like, you know, um, bureaucratic, you know, check a box kind of thing, or if it's going to actually be combative and confrontational, and actually like as opposed to I don't know, like a civil lawsuit maybe would be, um, with like yeah. you know private lawyers would be different than if the government was investigating their own people. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I will be everything. I just don't know yeah. still what will happen. I think those. I think the officers who are standing around will be publicly the worst case they lose their job, shamed, you know? and yeah. they'll be. Um, yeah, and they'll just go to a different department and join a sheriff's office in the middle of the country. You think? I I think that they're gonna. Absolutely. I think they're gonna. I think the. I think they're gonna be sacrificial lambs. Well, not sacrificial lambs because that indicates they didn't do anything. But like you know. I think I think they're going to be I think that there's going to be big, big consequences for them. And then people yeah. are going to hope that that's enough, you know, or, you know, that 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 people's anger will be sated by that. Yeah. Um, I have a hard time seeing any other scenario. Than that <clears throat> it's not even a situation. People are so mad. And the reason why this the reason why this story has stayed in the news is because of the police. Right. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, that's the only reason why it stayed in the yeah, media. No, like, um, there's very little about the shooter. You know? Right. Right. Because otherwise, it's just like another instance right. of senseless horror in this country. You know. Um, okay. Oh, what a depressing episode. Yeah, I know. Speaking, of, yeah, moving sorry. on to better news, Andy. <laughs> oh no, our own little corner of sadness. Yeah, um, I'm just kidding, Andy. So yeah, we want to make an announcement on the show today. Andy, do you want to make this announcement or do you want me to make the announcement? I mean, the announcement is next week will be my last episode right. on the show. Um, I mean, oh. yeah, should I? I mean, I don't have like a speech or anything. It's just, I we, we've had this conversation for a while. I definitely went back and forth on it because I have found the podcast very valuable um, as a place to, you know, talk through things and talk about a bunch of stuff that I typically wouldn't do in my like academic day job. Um, but you know, I'm still kind of at this phase where I, I need to kind of find time and kind of scratch out, you know, find the margins of my time to keep doing research and writing and all that stuff. Um, but uh, I mean, the, I don't know if it's irony, but the, the we'll just use irony. The ir ironic thing, I guess, is like the show has actually, conversations with you guys and our guests has led me to think about a lot of new stuff and it's really been well inspirational or pr productive in a lot of ways but then i've kind of found myself like uh find it difficult to actually find the time to explore those ideas that have been generated by the show um yeah. and yeah like i'm i mean I, i'm like very proud of a lot of the stuff we've done um and i think part of me is sort of like i don't know what else 
to say, like as an academic, like, and I talked to a lot of other academics who've been doing podcasts, right? Let's like, I think for you all, um, your day job is mostly just like keep on top of stuff that happens in the real world on a sort of like daily or weekly basis. Um, and a lot of times for academics, we're just like every week our opinion's the same, you know, like everything still sucks. Capitalism is still bad. <laughs> Um, right. So don't disagree. Yeah. The Marxist historian group chat just yeah. talks about the same thing every Pretty week. Boring. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We're just like, just yeah. like, whoa, did you see Steph last night? <laughs> capitalism is bad. Um, um, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, the long and short of it is that Andy, yeah, starting not next week will be his last week. And, um, I think Andy will come back on from time to time. Yeah, but, sure. Yeah. Um, and he will probably. St- I don't think he can stay away from our Discord. But, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've, I've stayed away since game one of the finals. Not right. intentionally, but it's actually been. <laughs> oh yeah, I haven't given you shit about that. That was amazing. Uh, My friend went to the game. He like grew up in Oakland, and he's a big time. He likes suicidal afterwards. I was like, How, what was that like? And he was like, it happened so quickly. It was insane. I mean, <laughs> he was I watched... like, I haven't. He was like, he was like, I like blinked and it was like, know. you know, the, the oh, game wow. had swung like 20 points. It was like, I've never seen anything like it. It was amazing. I, um, I was in Chicago. I watched that at a bar with one of our Discord listeners, Mike. And, you know, when you're at a bar, you don't really pay that much close attention to all the details. Right. And sometimes I will watch these games again, but I don't think I'll ever watch that game again. Oh, man, um, it was awesome. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Luckily, I was at a conference and my... I slowly detox myself from social media for a couple of days, and I think I'm gonna try to stay off social media until no, that's smart. Make a comeback. Yeah, I should do that. I've been <laughs> I've been having a weird two weeks on social media, and I've like none of it's good. You know, I feel yeah. terrible about it generally, um, or embarrassed at least. Okay, so the takeaway is that Tammy and I are gonna be the hosts of the show going forward, and um, we might bring on a third person eventually, but not in the near future. Um, nothing's really going to change. Well, obviously something big has changed, but you know, the <laughs> show is still the show. <laughs> Andy's not part of it anymore, yeah, yeah. but, um, and we respect Andy's decision. This has been an ongoing conversation. Andy basically said, I don't have, I, I just feel like I have, like you said, Andy, it's like, Tammy and my job is basically just to talk about our work, right? Like, and the stuff that we've been following, whereas it's not true for you, right? Like, it's a little different. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and that also you have a bunch of work that is not processing the news, right? Um, yeah. And that you felt like that stuff, um, that you weren't able to give that the time that you were able to give it in the past. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when um, the podcast began, I had just finished a bunch of stuff, you know, a book was coming out. And I think it was like the right time to step away from academic stuff for a while obviously there's a lot of shit going on that's worth talking about that. And there was a lot of interesting ways to connect history, whatever that is with the present. Um, and I think that's good to, to like generate new ideas, generate new ways of thinking and talking about this stuff. Um, in the end though, like to actually put into practice probably requires more me more, just kind of being, being more of a hermit about this stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, like I, I found it, you know, talking to you all doing the podcast, writing a few like pieces about the present is like a really useful way to, to kind of, you know, use different parts of your brain. Um, but in the end, after like, right about the 18th century, you know, how many <laughs> podcasts have we done? Like 150 or something? 
Uh, we have 130 yeah. something. Yeah, it's wild. That's crazy. Yeah. I can't believe how long this has been going on. Yeah. First of all, I can't believe how much time has passed since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, Mainly, I, like I can't believe I've had this. I've been doing this podcast longer than I've done almost any job in my life. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I feel like we uh, I don't know for the listeners out there. Um, you know, if you want to reach out to Andy, um, write us a time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com or send him a message on Twitter, even though he's not looking on Twitter anymore. You know, we will have a final episode with Andy next week and we'll give him a proper sending off. But what we didn't want was that there to be like rumors circulating amongst our, we kind of have a lot of listeners now, at least way more than I ever thought. Like a little (laughs) crazy. I met this kid at Cal yesterday. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I was because I was doing some reporting and then he was like and I was talking to him and he it turns out he was like listen to the podcast and yeah I was like, yeah oh that's great I was like you listen that's to the so podcast nice. and he was like yeah and I was like oh well you know there we have a, a lot of kids who yeah, yeah. listen to this a lot of young people and we didn't want it to seem like um you didn't want you know TMZ something had happened like we had a falling no, out no. or something like right that. this no. has been a long conversation every time Andy has expressed this some combination of me and Tammy has said, don't do it, you know. <laughs> Try to talk him out of it. I, mean, I got a lot my, of advice. My, my response has mostly been like, academia is stupid, you know. <laughs> I mean, it <laughs> probably like, is. Cakes are the only thing that matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I have thought if I, I mean, there are definitely, and there's more and more academics going into podcasting, I think. Um, and a lot of academics told me to keep doing it. Um, I right. think it's about like time in your like you know, what is the right time in your life to do this. I also like was like you know if we could do oh, it, like, the, if and we could do also it, like, Andy, if you want to come back, obviously you can. Uh, you know, it's not <laughs> like we're gonna open. we're not closing the door here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, for at least the foreseeable future, you know, this is going to be the arrangement. Um, I've actually had a turnaround on terms of my thoughts of academia recently because um, you know I've like been thinking a lot about tenure and I was like tenure is great seriously yeah I was like yeah. I can't think of anything better than being a tenured academic you just yell at journalists all day and <laughs> you know and be like oh, you did not properly cite me <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. and say like the meanest things possible you know and there's no repercussions it's amazing you know like it's sort of like a dream job for I me. know I was at this conference um and I was talking to a couple about like you know the Twitter storm over the Washington Post piece and then the Haiti piece in the New York Times where historians and journalists were killing each other on Twitter. Mm-hmm. These like these academics were like all deeply embarrassed by historians and by academics for, for oh, how they behaved. And, yeah. So, so I think they were just they were embarrassed. Embarrassed by historians getting all high and mighty about journalists like stealing their work and like yeah. being being blind or deaf to like the clear um, sort of social disparities between like a freelance journalist and a tenured professor at Ivy League school, you know. Um, so there's some of us who see it, but um, it is interesting the the history. And it's versus not just journey. a material question; it's there are other dimensions to that as well. But yeah, that's yeah, a so good start. Someone like said for my book, like because you know a lot of my book was about like uh, 1965 Immigration Act, you yeah. know. Anyway, this person had written this poem called like the children of 1965 or something like that. And there was like this argument that she was making that I had somehow taken her idea of the poem to write a book about or like a phrase that I used about. And it's like the 1965 immigration has most consequential 
demographic litig- oh like God. piece of legislation in American history. I know. And like you wrote a fucking poem, you know, and like uh, and then their argument was like, what we don't talk about is the politics of citation as like there's a reason we don't talk about the politics of citation. Right, because yeah. it's a stupid argument when it's made in this sort of way. But I don't know. Like, I actually think that that's a big <laughs> plus for in the side of like the academic life, Andy. What? Which is that like you can embarrass yourself as much as you want. You know, you can <laughs> yeah, tweet all job. day, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, who cares? You know, like maybe like four of your students will come in and be like, uh. Yeah, that was pretty lame. But guess what? <laughs> if you're at that point, you don't have students really anyway. You have grad students who like have to kiss your ass all the time and probably also believe that you were right. You know, oh all the students who dislike yeah. you are being caught by a TA. It doesn't matter. You know, like it's amazing. Yeah. You're like so insulated. You, you right. don't even have student evaluations being like, I didn't like that tweet. You, you know? could be like Amy Wax. And- <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Have, like no students. Oh yeah. On a paycheck. yeah. And you could be the most racist person in america which <laughs> is like amy wax is really up like i think amy wax is probably in the top five most yeah, racist people in america at this point. Right, yeah. <laughs> like like who's <laughs> really like can you think of people she's who are like so... actually more racist than amy wax like amy wax is top five she's gotta be it doesn't you know she still yeah. has her job it's amazing yeah. like and you know you can i've we've all argued that she probably should still have her job you know think about how powerful that is uh... you'd be one of the five most racist <laughs> people in america and like people like us will defend be like hey but she you definitely yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, Andy, I hope that this extra time gets you tenure. So that, you know. Yeah, Andy, you better do something good with this. Right, it's gonna yeah. be amazing. Andy's right gonna be like, Andy's gonna yeah. get tenure, and he's gonna be like tweeting six hundred times a day. You know? <laughs> he's gonna be like trolling uh, every fan base in the NBA, and then Stuff he's gonna there, be yeah. yeah, and he's gonna be like arguing with tankies all day long or he's going to become a tanky like one of the two will happen um, because it'll be totally free yeah i was like yeah well well two thoughts one is after game one i was like why do i like sports this is just emotionally emotionally abusive i need to stop i I don't know i come to this realization like every year secondly i think the podcast it sounds weird but it's like the podcast is like the first time i've like talked about being asian american or what or thought about it very seriously um and so that's been actually like it's been therapeutic in a way i guess and and to kind of talk through some of this stuff um but also and then like like i said i've, I've actually become more compelled or interested in actually maybe writing about it taking it seriously in my academic stuff not directly and that's not like intruding into asian american studies but um you know we've talked about in the show like the field is incredibly white and you're not you're, i don't know I, I wouldn't say you're gaslit but you're just like not supposed to talk about it too much and so just like having this space. Has Avoid history. History, even East Asian studies, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. so. Oh, yeah. East been... Asian studies. It's crazy, man. So, there, yeah, I mean, I just read this novel, <laughs> Disorientation, that kind of had, takes on those themes um, by Elaine Cho. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the space has been really therapeutic because it isn't just a, our podcasts haven't been just about like, you know, representation, Asian American in a sort of narrow sense. It's been a good place to like try to um, think about it from a lot of different perspectives. Um, so, yeah, I know. I mean, I'm very proud of what's happened uh, on the podcast. I, I don't want it to sound at all like, you know, like we well, fought. That's good. <laughs> well, nobody is saying that. Yeah. We all know that. <laughs> yeah. East Asian studies stuff is crazy. It seems like the whole field is 
white men over 70 years old yeah at this point but know? at the same time it's changed though it has the, changed okay i think the pot i've i've been kind of surprised how the podcast has allowed us to kind of talk to a bunch of people that you know like uh like you know me and I's come on like it all for you has come on like people will say but yes is to may is may a east asian studies no she's asian american studies right. but you know like the conversation we have is like like in 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 academia, she and I would not have would not have a conversation, right? Because I'm in Chinese history and she's in Asian American history, and we have totally different social networks or whatever. But if you just say like yes to a podcast conversation, uh, we have a like a long sustained conversation, and um, it's like this kind of exceptional space where you don't have to like follow the rules and climb this yeah. sort of social ladder. May is cool, yeah, um, very so, cool actually. Yeah. Um, so and you know like the response from different people has been academics on academics journalists it's been kind of heartening to see like a lot of people have been thinking about this stuff but this stuff has kind of just been kind of pushed to the margins on that note um thank you for listening we'll be back next week with annie for his last episode you can contact us at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com if you'd like to support the show for five dollars a month and have access to our discord it is goodbye.substack.com i don't think we really publicize that sort of stuff very much huh yeah, we do what? what? What stuff? I don't know. Like, now that Andy, we don't have to pay Andy. <laughs> we, can, we should do like a marketing push, Tammy. <laughs> try, and get, try and get more subscribers. The savings, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. don't have tenure, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll invest. We'll, we'll, we'll hire Caitlin Phillips to be the podcast uh, publicist. <laughs> <laughs> We'll try to generate a ton of money that we just split it two ways now. Um, okay. Um, thank you for listening, and until next week. Bye, guys. Later.